0: Welcome to The Local. I'm your host, Mark Horner, founder of Fairhaven Wealth Management here in Wheaton, Illinois. So what is wealth management? Well, it's a lot more than just stocks and bonds. It's about taking care of your family, your career, and your community, and maybe even having a little fun along the way. That's what wealth management is all about. Welcome to another edition of The Local. I'm your host, Mark Horner. With me is Vicki Austin from the Wheaton Chamber of Commerce. Vicki, nice to see you. Mark,
1: it is great to be here today.
0: And with us is one of our very own here in Wheaton, the relatively new fire chief, Mr. Chief Robert Brill.
2: Good afternoon. Thank you for having me today.
0: Thank you for being here. And thank you. I'm going to thank you more than once, but thank you for all that you and all the people at the fire department do for us.
2: Well, you're welcome. And I can't take much credit for it because the boots on the ground are the ones that are really out there day in, day out, night in, night out, making the effort, uh, taking care of our residents and guests. So your
0: career in the fire, uh, world didn't start in the fire world. You got, you got started in a different part of public service. Is that, is my show research right?
2: Your show research is correct. (laughs) Uh, I started out after college, uh, besides my little stint working at a gas station uh, postgraduate, like a lot of students do or graduates do, uh, I began my career with the Illinois State Police as a telecommunicator. So I was in that job for a few months uh, learning the radio, learning the statewide uh, radio system and all the different entities that are dispatched and controlled by the state police, such as the Secretary of State Police, uh, the Conservation Police, uh, and some other smaller agencies. Uh, I learned the ropes with the intention of becoming an Illinois state trooper. Uh, I previously interned with the state police in college and I had an opportunity to live out in the western part of the state uh, in the home of a trooper who happened to be a friend or a parent of a friend. And I got to see a, a large uh, a large amount of the services and uh, that the state police provides. Uh, All the way from the gambling boats, uh, I should say the riverboat casino at the time, Mm -hmm. um, to forensics, uh, criminal investigations, and of course patrol, their biggest unit, even the air unit. Uh, So I tried to become a trooper and I was in a a waiting period to get into a cadet class. And meanwhile, I was trying to get into law enforcement. So I took a number of local law enforcement uh, entrance exams and I ended up getting a call by the Palatine Police Department. Uh, just a few months after I joined the state police as a telecommunicator. So, uh, I was hired by Palatine in January of 1996. I arrived for work. There was a news camera in front of the the police station. I thought, wow, they really do it up for their new recruits. (laughs)
3: They're
2: having a press conference. (laughs) And unfortunately, it was the uh, third anniversary of the Browns' chicken murders, And oh. annually, they were doing a press conference to yes. update the public on the status of the investigation. Yeah. So that was a quick learn once I got there. Uh, there really was no fanfare. You were at the, the lowest part of the totem pole, maybe even subterranean. <laughs> <laughs>
1: Lower than low.
2: <laughs> Lower than low. And that's one of those rites of passages, I think, in any public safety mm-hmm. job. Until you complete certain of those passages, such as the police academy, and your field training program, uh, that's when you start to climb up on the status. So I joined the police department. I went to the State Police Academy where I was side-by-side with the cadet class for 10 weeks. Uh, The cadets, I believe, were down for about 27 at the time. Uh, I completed my initial training, my 455-hour law enforcement course. And then I did another 16... 12 or 16 weeks of field training before I was cut loose to fail on my own without a safety net. Mm-hmm. So I, I enjoyed my work uh, in the police department. Uh, the big push at the time was community policing, mm-hmm. which the Palatine police department uh, coined neighborhood based policing. And I, I took that initiative to heart and I tried to develop relationships with the people in my, in my beat. So I worked the same geographic area of of the, of the village for my entire three and a half years in the police department. And I had developed quite a few relationships, which helped out when it came time to following up on uh, some more in-depth crimes or patterns of crime or just general neighborhood problems, um, nuisances or uh, juvenile problems, which was a a big one. So uh, I found that very interesting and satisfying having that, Uh, interaction. Mm -hmm. And while I was there, I had a lot of interaction with the fire department and they were gracious enough to allow us and another, another officer friend of mine to attend some of their trainings, including live fire and underwater rescue and a swimming pool. So on community police, uh, policing chief, is Mm
0: -hmm. that, is that really, is that fundamentally just about initiating conversations with the community, being being physically, physically, visibly present. And is, is it really just about making friends in the, in the community or how, how does how
1: law enforcement form, think about uh, that? It
2: really
0: is.
1: Is it like walking it, a beat?
2: It's, it, well, you can walk a beat in dead silence with headphones on, mm-hmm. or you can walk a beat and you can and stop connect. to engage people along mm-hmm. the way and, and be aware of what's going on. I mean, mm-hmm. we see that everywhere we go. We have people that are engaged in their own, you know, introverted way, walking mm-hmm. down the sidewalk. And some people are actively seeking um, conversation or or interaction with people along the way. So to me, that was talking to people, finding out what their concerns are and also being cognizant of the crime or, or activity that's mm-hmm. going on in your area and being proactive about it. As a patrol officer, your primary responsibility is to answer calls for service, which can range anywhere from a, a simple report to uh, diffusing a domestic situation or an argument or a fight um, to uh, crimes in progress. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, uh, there are goals or there were goals at the time for traffic enforcement, which is, you know, generates revenue for the village. And it also makes uh, th- the ultimate goal is to make these streets safer. Safety, mm-hmm. yeah. Which, yeah. you know, depending on the types of enforcement that you focus on, uh, have a different level of impact. mm mm-hmm. I'm a big contributor,
0: by the way, personally, to the revenue of the city of Chicago with their, <laughs> with their video cameras. Sure. I think I bat about 80% every time I go into the city of Chicago, I end up getting a ticket they for something. They have
1: a statue they're building for Mark. I think, his, I think their margin the margin of away. error
0: is, yeah, if you're going 31 and a 30, you're getting a ticket.
2: Sorry. Well, I, I agree I, with I, you. I, but, but I digress. Little. I lived but in the city digress. myself, and I believe their cameras were very uh, generous to the City. Right? They're, they're running yes. a little too tight. A little, a little bit too tight. Yeah, tight. The, the grace period. It could be the grace period on a red light camera.
1: Yeah. I have to ask because you said you're doing classes as a police officer. You were doing classes with the firefighters. Isn't there like a a rivalry? Competitive, yeah. Isn't there a rivalry? A friendly rivalry between the two? Of I mean, course. when did you defect?
2: Well, that was <laughs> that's interesting. I remember it vividly. Because it was a beautiful night, not to, uh about the same time of year as right now. And we were getting one of our first heavy snowfalls, and I was on a rotating shift and I was working on midnights. And one of my classmates from the academy who started the same day as I, we were sitting around, we called the two five in, right? The the ten code is ten twenty-five to meet in person. So we would two five and we would get together, have a cup of coffee, and it was two o'clock in the morning, and the snow was piling up on the car. And there wasn't anything stirring <laughs> throughout the night. And we Not both looked at mouse. each other and said, Hey, this is exactly what I signed up for. And, he, and we, we giggled a little bit. And we were just having a little philosophical moment. What, what do we want to be doing 20 years from now? And neither one of us said, well, we both, we both agreed it wasn't sitting in a car doing the same thing 20 years from now.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So he ended up leaving police work a few, few years later. Uh, maybe not even a few years, maybe a year later. And I thought to myself, that was a great conversation. What do I really enjoy doing? What would better suit me for a long-term career? I loved police work until the day I left. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it. I found satisfaction in in it, um, especially when I applied myself uh, with those concept of neighborhood-based policing. I can't tell you, I, I don't think there's any police officer that gets satisfaction day in, day out, just writing tickets or, right. or having negative contacts with people. I think it's the trying to do something positive or proactive um, for a large group, like such as a neighborhood or, a, or an entire community is where they get their job satisfaction and drive to keep going. So I had that, but I knew that down the road, uh, I wanted to do something else and I had other interests. So I started taking tests for the fire service. Um, my, a friend of mine that I used to you know, we were on the mountain bike patrol and we would, you know, hang out outside of work. He took the test as well. And he ended up working for Palatine Fire. And I took a consortium test uh, for about eight or nine different departments. One test, thousands of people, unlike today. <laughs> and my goal was to work for Arlington Heights. That was the area I grew up in. Uh, I picked out that department based upon, uh, you know, just some facts or a few people that I had met across. Uh, over my career. And I ended up working for Wilmette because they (laughs) called me first and I had a great conversation with some of the members and the chief and it looked like a great opportunity. I had family that lived in town and nearby or grew up in town, family from Skokie nearby. Mm -hmm. Uh, And Wilmette had a lot of amenities, including a big lake. It's a gorgeous place. It's a nice place to work. Um, And most importantly, I felt like they genuinely, genuinely wanted me as a person Mm -hmm. and I wasn't just the next person on the list. So uh, I had an opportunity to take the job and I accepted the job in May and I started in September. So when my boss found out about it at the police department, it, it was a rough summer, you know, mm. the defectors still working, mm-hmm. right?
3: Yeah, right.
2: but that's okay. I, I got past that. <laughs> uh, I started with Wilmette. I had a very good career there. I uh, started out as a firefighter for the first 10, 11 years of my career. And then I slowly progressed up through the ranks as a company officer and then a shift commander, battalion chief, uh, then deputy chief. And I was the interim fire chief for several months um, during a period when uh, our fire chief left uh, somewhat unexpectedly. And then they were searching for a a more permanent fire chief. Um, So that was a great experience, uh, a lot of of learning. And I really had a great opportunity when they selected the next fire chief. Uh, we bonded instantly and we were able to make some great strides, pick up some of the pieces from the pandemic
3: mm. and
2: continue to move the department forward. Mm-hmm. And I think that really helped me uh, become prepared to come to Wheaton. When you made, when you made that switch, chief, did you,
0: did from, from policing to fire, uh, firefighting, did you have to go back down to the bottom
2: of the rung and start all over? And yes. Then- yes. Uh, two separate, uh, anything in public safety, when mm-hmm. you transfer to a new organization, Unless you're at the top level or in, in, in a leadership or command staff position, you typically start back out at the bottom. I think
1: mm-hmm. Chief Euker told us that too, right? The- yeah, And mm-hmm.
2: that's why it's not real common to, to jump around throughout your career mm-hmm. until you get to a certain level.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Uh, when you're part of the operational staff, there's a, a, a pretty defined set of guidelines, uh, usually defined in a contract in many cases,
3: mm-hmm.
2: that dictate your time off, how you receive your time off. Uh, and where you are in the pecking order.
1: Mm-hmm. So it's very clear. Crystal it's, pre- clear. it's very clear. Mm-hmm.
2: But people have reasons why they jump between mm-hmm. departments, mm-hmm. Uh, whether it's to go back to an area they're familiar with, to go to a larger or smaller department, or there's some characteristic of the fire department that or police department that would suit them better than their position mm-hmm. they're
0: in. So, so you, is the bottom of the run taking is the bottom of the rung taking care of the Dalmatian?
2: Uh, well, the Dalmatian <laughs> seems to run free. <laughs> the, the Dalmatian, I've been trying
0: to figure out how to work in a Dalmatian reference. So that was the best that I
1: could you do. You threw me there for a minute, yeah. uh, but I got it now. Okay. So
2: every fire department, just like every police department, has their own culture. And you could walk into two fire departments that, that have an adjoining border and the way they conduct their daily mm-hmm. business inside the firehouse could be very different. Uh, where I came from before here, uh, depending on where you were in the pecking order, was your duties for the day that you were solely responsible for like in my case uh, the rookie would handle the kitchen and then when you get a promotion you get promoted to toilets <laughs> that's very uncommon in many places kitchen
0: is below toilets yes the I'll, kitchen is I'll where everybody that. is where the
2: most time is spent and where the most mess is yeah so is that both cooking and, and making cleaning? coffee and making coffee oh,
0: and So coffee it's everything it's cooking cleaning coffee everything it's right. right it's TV? a rite of passage just like the movies huh
2: wow But here in Wheaton, it's a little bit different culture. Mm -hmm. The group, all of the firefighters and the paramedics together will tackle any chores. And there's no set chore. They do it because it needs to get done. And that's their philosophy. Not that one is better or right or wrong over the other. That's just how they do it. Mm -hmm. So I said, who's responsible for this? And they said, we all are. How about this? We all are. So it do, works, those, and it works. do those yeah. cultures travel
0: across no matter who's in the firehouse or is that kind of cultural difference really dictated from the chief at the time?
2: Uh, I think a lot of the culture for the day to the day, to day um, is dictated by the people in the firehouse. Mm-hmm. It, it's like, it's like a small settlement somewhere. They dictate their own rules. Mm-hmm. As long as they're in compliance with city policies and fire department policies, how the job gets done is really up to them. Mm-hmm. From my perspective as the chief, we're really looking for the, the more strategically. What are we going to do as an organization? What are we going to do uh, for the citizens and the residents, the guests, the business owners of the city? That's what our role is. What type of services we're going to provide? And when we start getting into how we're going to provide them, that's where we take a lot more input in from our operational personnel. I, Wait, I could sit in my is... office and say how we're going to do something. But if I'm, so, if I'm out of tune right. to what the reality is on the street, it's not going to be successful. No, and, and the feedback from our 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 members on the operational side of the fire department is invaluable because they they have the the pulse of the town.
1: Well, like you said at the very beginning, you, they're the boots on the ground, right? They are the people that are out there doing the job. So exactly.
0: So life in a firehouse is it is it two days on, three days on? How how does that work? Because you're living the, the the firefighters are all living together in firehouses.
2: Correct. So. In this geographic area, in the Chicagoland area, and many other parts of the country, uh, a typical shift would be 24 hours on and 48 hours off. Now, there's opportunities to work extra shifts, such as overtime, or uh, to fill in if some uh, you know if somebody is ill or injured, and uh, the shifts have to be covered on a daily basis, mm-hmm. right? So. In some cases, that's filled in by voluntary overtime. And in some cases, if you're short personnel or a lot of people have a day scheduled off, sometimes that's involuntary. But at the end of the day, the shifts and the positions are covered mm-hmm. 24-7, 365 days a year. So do people have dedicated beds? And is this like
0: a bunkhouse routine? Or do you mm-hmm. have your own room? I'd really like to know what the day-to-day I is think
2: like. A field trip a, trip they give in you a order. tour at the field firehouse. I'm a in order. order, yes. Every firehouse is a little bit different. Uh, and they've evolved over time, especially when they build a new firehouse, they build in newer amenities. Mm-hmm. I started out and, and many firefighters who are long since retired have started out where we all slept in one large room and the snoring from both different <laughs> sides of the room reverberated across all the walls and ceiling tiles. So you got to uh, understand everybody's breathing patterns very <laughs> intimately. <laughs> and sometimes the odors after a
1: healthy meal. I, but, think fr- I think we're going to frat frat house. Uh, but that
2: was the part of the allure. It was a very um, family oriented yeah, atmosphere, and, and it still is. But it, it went all the way into the bunk room. Many nights I can remember lying in bed, especially after going out on a call about midnight, one in the morning. We all came back together, and someone will just their mind will get jogged from that call and they'll tell a story about the past and we'll laugh it up a little bit and we'll all laugh it up, tell a story or two while we're all lying in bed until we finally fall back asleep. Oh, I think that's great. I I think some of that has gone away because now in the the bunk bunk rooms we have uh, partition walls which because everybody deserves a little bit more privacy. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's some desks. Some places have lockers. In some firehouses they have Uh, actual individual rooms. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is easier to make sure everybody's up for a call at three o'clock in the morning. If you (laughs) don't have to start opening doors. Uh, But most people are, are uh, accustomed to or trained to uh, get up when the tones go off (laughs) and they do go off uh, all the time,
0: 24 hours a day. And what's the hierarchy when you see, when I see a fire truck going by, what's the, What's the ranking, or is there a ranking that you can decipher from where people sit or where people stand on a truck
2: sure that's a good point. Uh, standing on the truck, so nobody should be standing on a truck anymore okay. we, we've outlawed that uh for probably over twenty maybe twenty five years now, <laughs> uh, and compliance was soon after that it was actually outlawed uh, because it's very dangerous yeah um, so pretty much uh, it's it's consistent across the board. Uh, in the entire fire service, your engineer is oftentimes, is your driver, driver engineer. Um, he is usually a, se- usually a seasoned veteran. In our case in Wheaton, all of our firefighters are trained to sit in any position, such as the, fire, the nozzleman or firefighter position or the driver position from early on in their career. Where I came from and from many other organizations, uh, it takes a lot of time on the job before you are trained to drive and operate. It's just the culture we have here that's different. And I think it's good. It makes people more versatile. Mm-hmm. I've always thought that if you are a firefighter, one of the minimal skills you should have is be- to be able to get water out of your own fire engine.
3: Mm-hmm. So
2: not everybody learns that in the first few years on the job. Really? So I think that what we do here is, is, a, is a good thing. Mm-hmm. So
0: how does that work? Does the, you got to hook up the truck to a, to a hydrant or is there water in the trucks?
2: Both. Let me finish your last okay, question. Sorry. Uh, no, no. I'll come, He's right, very I'll come excited. right back I'm to very you. know how excited. how boys are with the fire trucks. So the right seat, which is a, it's a common term or the passenger seat of the fire engine or a fire truck is reserved for the officer. Mm. Okay. And mm-hmm. that can either be a sworn officer, such as a lieutenant or a captain typically, or a firefighter acting up in that position mm-hmm. in the event that they're relieving a right, an officer on their on day, day the off. Mm-hmm. And they're going to wear a white shirt. Typically, but we might find somebody with the blue shirt okay? because it may be a firefighter that's acting in that role for the day. Uh, But typically you'll find a sworn officer more times than not in the right seat of a fire engine or fire truck. And they are in charge of the company. They're the first line supervisor and they're responsible for the overall safety and direction of the company, especially when given an assignment by um, a senior or superior officer. Mm -hmm. And in the back part of the fire engine and depending on where you go you might see one person two people or if you're in a large city you might see three or four crammed back there those are firefighters that have individual jobs they're typically firefighters in rank and depending on what type of company they're on they may be assigned to work on the roof of a house they might be assigned, they might be assigned forcible entry uh, a new, newer firefighter might be assi- on an engine company might be assigned to what we say, tag a hydrant or open the fire hydrant mm-hmm. and connect a supply host to it, which is a relatively safer position to be in until he becomes a trusted member of the company. And that's when mm-hmm. the officer will start to bring him inside. So uh, in most of the suburbs, you're going to have one firefighter uh, in the backseat. Uh, when we train a new firefighter, we'll have as many as four people total on a fire engine mm. or a truck. And they're us- one of them is usually under the supervision of a, a mentor. Mm-hmm. but their role is really that they're the hands-on, they're the operational part of that company. And the fire officer will do the same thing. They'll, they'll assist, but really their job is safety, uh, direction of the company, calling the shots, making sure they have good situational awareness, and the engineer or driver is responsible for the safe uh, operation of the vehicle to and from the scene, mm-hmm. uh, the proper vehicle positioning, which makes a very big difference on the direction of how a fire will, will go. And also to operate that piece of equipment, whether it's running the water pump or setting up the aerial device in the right position to access the important parts of the building, such as a window or or a a balcony, Mm -hmm. the ladders. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, and positioning is, is everything. If you put it in the wrong position, once you get it set up, by the time you realize it, you're already blocked in and you can't move. So Mm -hmm. it's very critical, uh, to place your apparatus in the proper place. Mm-hmm. And that is a big truck. It's hard to move it once it's all mm-hmm. set up. Once hose is on the ground, it's heavy and it doesn't move very easily. And there must be a pretty good reason to relocate it. Mm. So with your question as far as the uh, how we get water. Right. <laughs> so we're very fortunate here in the city that we have a, a, a great water system. It's well-maintained. Um, there's adequate personnel when we have a problem to address it immediately. And we have good pressure around the entire city. Most of our areas are fully hydranted, hydranted meaning that we can pull water anywhere within 300, you know, the hydrants are typically three to 500 feet apart, which is good because not everybody has that. Sometimes we have to, they have to bring water with Whoa. in the form of a tender, which is a, basically a truck with a tank, large tank on it. Mm-hmm. So for a typical house fire, We have an engine company will pull up and they have a water tank on the fire engine. All of our fire engines carry 750 gallons of water. So our members are able to pull off or pull past the house. We have adequate hose on the back of the engine. We can pull that off and we can advance that hose into a building using water that's in the tank. Hopefully shortly after, the the truck will appear, park right in front of the building in the most... um, opportune spot to access both sides of a building and the roof. And then the next engine will come in and usually backs down to the scene and will drop off a hose and lead out to a fire hydrant. And that is a a typical response. The engine that's at the fire hydrant will connect into the water system and they will supply water to either the ladder truck. If we need to use an aerial master stream device Mm -hmm. or into the fire engine to support that, hand line and possibly the next hand line that's going to go in to back them up or supplement uh, the initial ha- attack line. So we will operate on tank water initially, but we'll support it with mm-hmm. what we call positive mm-hmm. water supply, positive pressure coming off the, the water system. And that will support our needs for water throughout the incident. Hmm. So the truck
0: bridges bridges the, the water supply until the until you can hook up to a a hydrant.
2: Well, the the truck and I say like a ladder truck won't necessarily bridge it. Many times the ladder truck isn't connected at all. The ladder is used for access mm-hmm. and for tools. And the and the function of a ladder company is different than an engine company. Their job is to ventilate, so they may open windows mm-hmm. or cut a hole in the roof to allow the hot gases and smoke out. Uh, they're also in charge with charged with forcible entry, so they can break open a door, mm-hmm. so the engine company can advance their line. And they're also a a primary search company, whereas the engine company can do all those same functions, but their primary job is to take that hose line, fill it with water, advance it into the residence or or structure, and put the fire out. When you put the fire out, it makes all those other jobs easier. And it's easier for the hose company to put the fire out if other people are doing all those ancillary Mm -hmm. jobs, such as Mm -hmm. ventilating the heat and smoke. Mm -hmm. So it's a true coordinated attack. Uh, with some overlapping responsibilities. Hmm.
1: Is your training at College of DuPage at the tech center?
2: Um, we have members some... that have trained there.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: we train all over the state. Okay. We first, first and foremost, we train every day at, at every one of our firehouses. Oh. Um, on, the, on the classroom level, on the t- tailboard talk level, so to mm-hmm. speak, where we'll go out to the back of the engine, we'll pull a piece of equipment off, and we'll talk about its uses. Mm-hmm. We'll demonstrate it. We'll set something up. So that everybody's continually familiar with all of our equipment, Uh, and then we have company trainings where a number of fire companies in town will get together and will perform certain uh, tasks, firefighting or or EMS related. Mm -hmm. And then we have monthly trainings with other members that are perform automatic and mutual aid with the Wheaton Fire Department. So we're part of the West Suburban Fire Rescue Alliance, and that is six fire departments that work together almost exclusively. So our six departments follow the same standard operating guidelines when it comes to operations out in the fire scene. We also train together monthly, sometimes more than once a month. So we're all familiar with each other. So you've got over 90 square miles in the northwestern part of DuPage County, um, 200 and something, I forget, uh, firefighters that work together on a regular basis that know each other on a first name basis and respond to all the higher and, and medium and higher risk incidents together. So we have expectations. We have and we've expectations. seen that, right?
1: You probably see that going down Roosevelt where you see Winfield and Wheaton and Carroll Stream, they, like, you mm-hmm. see different.
2: We all work together mm-hmm. and we follow the same operating guidelines. So when it, regardless of which town or which mm-hmm. district is coming in to assist us, as long as they know when they arrive, like what, if they're the second engine, they know right. exactly what they're supposed Who's to do. Who's doing what. If yeah. they're the third engine or the second trunk, truck company, they know exactly what they're going to do. That's what you call the a a truck, truck company? A ladder truck company mm-hmm. or all of our ladder trucks are tower. So mm-hmm. the, the second tower company or truck company, mm-hmm. they know what their assignment is. And in case we have to audible, that's when we can communicate that change. But other than that, everybody knows what they're supposed mm-hmm. to do. The same thing for our medic companies that respond and the same thing for our chief officers. They know according to when they arrive on the scene and when they walk up to the command post, they have a pretty good idea of what's going on and what their assignment will be based upon what's been filled and what hasn't been filled. Mm. And that makes the incident go smoothly. It's a disadvantage to me sometimes if I'm coming into the scene because I don't hear anything on the radio Mm -hmm. because everybody knows what they're supposed to do and Mm -hmm. it just happens. Whereas, if, if you're not as coordinated, a lot of times those assignments are being given out to responding companies or mm-hmm. companies that arrive on the scene. Mm-hmm. So you have an idea what company is doing what. But uh, sometimes we just have to infer until we get to the scene and yeah. see our, our command board to find out exactly what people are doing. But I know that if Engine 37 arrived first on the scene, I know exactly what they're doing.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And if Engine 39 was the second one in, I know that they're, if there's not already a water supply established, Engine 39 is going to be handling that Mm -hmm. unless something more emergent takes precedent over that, such as someone hanging out of a window, Mm -hmm. in which case we audible. But other than that, we we have uh, standard operating guidelines that are across the board for all of our responding agencies in our alliance. And that makes things work well. We work like a large fire department. So So if there's a a fire alarm in
0: Carroll Stream, you guys are going to made aware of that to, to maybe go and assist there and vice Correct. versa so right. that
2: it depends there's different levels of response for right. different types of mm-hmm. incidents for a large commercial structure such as a high rise in, in downtown Wheaton or a large residence hall at Wheaton college mm-hmm. we oh, will have yeah. a slightly greater response than we would for a fire alarm at a single family residence and in those cases we might bring an extra chief officer in from another town in many cases carol stream In some cases, if it's during the day and and our chief officers, such as myself or our our assistant chief of administration, we may respond in place so we don't take one of their resources Mm -hmm. out of their town Mm -hmm. into our town when we can handle that. But if it happens at 10 10 p.m., we'll get a a battalion chief from a neighboring town to come in and assist our battalion chief because of the increased risk, because of the type of occupancy Mm -hmm. or structure. Mm-hmm. So, have you ever pulled up to a fire scene and
0: somebody's illegally parking, blocking a fire hydrant, and you've had to throw an <laughs> axe through the windshield in order to get the hose routed through there? Does that ever happen? You, you mean every firefighter's dream, right? Exactly, <laughs> exactly.
2: <laughs> yes, yes. That, know, that that one is. movie back in the right, uh, right. Was <laughs> it the '80s or '90s? I think it was an uh, early oh, '90s. Whatever. Yeah, it Whatever. was it created that dream for most firefighters. It's never happened. i we've had people parked in the wrong place.
1: Oh man, just keep just but, but, plow them out, but, right? I, but so usually do do?
2: we find other ways to not do that oh. because it adds to the complexity of the yeah, paperwork that's afterwards. True. Oh. Yeah. It's
1: all in the paperwork. But Mark. if we
2: had to do it, if that was the only choice, you trust do it. me, we would do it. One of the minute. things I think are very unique about firefighters is that we're pretty crafty and we're pretty good with plan B and plan C. I bet. So, um, I like to give these guys credit. Uh, they will try not to do damage if we don't have to, just like in a house. I mean, it may look like we're, we're trashing a place during a fire, but we do that actually to save property. Right. Um, we tear our drywall. We break out glass. Glass is cheap and replaceable. Um, windows are cheap in the, in the, in the big picture compared to smoke damage. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, Putting a fire out and then leaving before we make sure it's out usually causes more damage when we come back. And mm-hmm. we don't like to come back. Mm-hmm. So we'll take the extra time to remove drywall until we find clean wood underneath. Mm-hmm. We make sure that it's absolutely out. We do, our, we do a very, our due diligence to make sure that's the case. We like to only put the same fire out one time.
1: Right. I'm very inspired. I'm going to sleep better tonight. How about you?
2: I absolutely.
1: I am.
0: So personally, do you like sitting around a fire pit socially or you, or do you have just a completely bad association with fire in its entirety, even for, even for social, like toasting marshmallows?
2: No, no. I think most firefighters, uh, I I can't speak for most. I'll speak for me. I I like the same things everybody else does. I like to sit around a campfire with a beverage of choice. It's, and, uh, occasionally a cigar and enjoy the company of, of people around me. And if I've had a bad day at work, I can do that same thing without the company of people around me. <laughs> but no, uh, I, I don't think uh, firefighters have, have any more aversion to fire wreck you know, that used in an appropriate manner than anybody else. Um, and I also don't, for the most part, I don't think they have a, a affinity to, they're not fire pyro- Pyr- more fire. Either. I was
1: gonna say, are there pyromaniacs who are uh, attracted to moderation. the? Yes, firefighters have made
2: poor judgment calls, just mm-hmm. like everybody else in their personal life, mm-hmm. um, with the use of fire, and they've gotten burned before. They're human, mm-hmm. but I can only speak for the ones I've worked with throughout my career. When it comes time to do your duty, um, they do the right thing and they follow the training. They follow their guidelines. So. Yeah. That, Just like anyone else, right? That's so we may inspiring. not speed at work, but, you know, your firefighter might come in. And, I got a speeding ticket yesterday, you know, on my day off. It happens, right? We're human beings. So in a slightly <laughs> different direction,
0: Chief, what are your feelings about dodgeball? <laughs>
2: <laughs> that is a loaded question. Yes, it is. Oh, yes, it is. We, okay. do our show, we do our show research here thoroughly, Chief. Yes, we do. Well, from a, from a movie standpoint, it was a great movie. And it really... It really brought the recreational dodgeball community (laughs) and brought it out, right? Uh, I think it's a fantastic uh, fundraising event for charity. And under normal circumstances, when it doesn't affect your day-to-day operations for the next six to eight months, it is a fantastic (laughs) opportunity for fire and police to get together, have a little fun. But in our case, this past year, we did have a few injuries that happened Uh at the dodgeball tournament. And uh, we lost some key personnel for several months. And Jeez. during the prime prime months of the year, and it hurt a little bit, it caused a lot of hardship for uh the city financially and also for those members uh, that were filling their spots and most of all for the two people that were injured mm-hmm. those are pretty serious injuries and it's hard to be out of work so especially for, the, for that for so, those
0: that don't know what we're talking about there's a dodgeball a charity dodgeball tournament that goes on that is uh it's got multiple layers of uh what, I think middle school, there's a middle school uh, age bracket. There's a high school age bracket. There's an adult age bracket. And then there's a first responder uh, night. So there are people, it draws from all over the state. The only, it does. The state police has a, has a team that comes out and plays.
2: It is very much like what you saw in the movie, minus all the extra flair and, and uh, goofy <laughs> costumes. But... Uh, <laughs> a whole, Hollywood stars. Yes. It's less l- Hollywood. Event. It's a very big event. It's for a very good cause. Um, but we, we, we still did, need you on the job. So we do. We did hurt. have a lot of fun. I think we might have more referees from the Wheaton Fire Department for the coming year. But part of being uh, responsible adults is letting our personnel make good decisions. Right. Uh, so we're not putting a moratorium on it, but. We hope people make good decisions if they choose to participate. Do you have a guess as to who put me up to ask you that? Oh, probably. Yes. Mm-hmm. Starts with a J. Yeah. Ends with an H. Yeah. You got it. You got it. Yeah. We've been bantering back and forth about that for uh, over the past few months. And uh, I happen to like that person very much. As do he, I. He does. He does good work and he's got a great heart. And uh, any way we can support him. We still will. Uh, I do, however, answer to another Person uh, starts with M, who's my city manager, who I have to uh, answer financially.
1: Mr. Dugan. (laughs)
2: Mr. Dugan. Mr. Dugan. Another good good man who uh, is is good to work with.
1: He is a good man.
2: Uh, So we do the best we can to not create undue expenses for the city.
1: Because (laughs) I am a former journalist and inquiring minds want to know. Now, Mm -hmm. you don't have to answer this, but were you recruited or did you throw your hat in the ring for this job?
2: Yes. And yes. Okay. Got it. So good answer. So I I will be, uh, completely transparent. Um, I did see the job posting for this job. I wasn't particularly looking. I was in a very good place in my former organization. I bet you were there a long time. I was, and I enjoyed working with my, my newer fire chief and we were really accomplishing quite a bit. Um, both with uh, acquisitions, purchases, Mm -hmm. and also with the relationship between the the village and the union. And uh, I thought it was a really really fun time to come to work. But I knew that, you know, just looking at the time I had in service and the opportunities for me to become a fire chief of that organization really weren't in line any longer. Mm -hmm. Uh, The new chief was going to stay for at least four or five, six years. Mm -hmm. And I would be near the end of my uh, career from the, from from a pension standpoint. Mm-hmm. So financially it wouldn't make sense for me and it wouldn't make sense for the city because, uh, or the, sorry, the village, uh, just because of the potential that I would find another opportunity. So I just kept my eyes and ears out. And when we had a, um, we did have a recruitment process, uh, within the village of Wilmet And I did meet the recruiter who happened to be the same recruiter in ah. the same company. So, you know, I had a re, uh, a friendly relationship with him. Um, And I do recall he called me up one day and said, Hey, uh, take a look at this, this Wheaton job. And I said, I don't qualify him. I don't live in the radius Mm -hmm. of that. They're requesting everything else. I meet the qualifications, Mm -hmm. but, but my residency and I, I'm not in a position to move right now. He said, don't worry about that. Put your name in the hat. I don't know if he was trying to, drum up more people in the pool or if he really truly meant that we didn't go into a lot of detail but I looked at the position and of course I've been to the city of Wheaton before it's a beautiful city there's a lot to offer in fact I think a few months before I had a breakfast here with some friends in town and I was somewhat familiar uh, other than not being in the area I typically frequent um, I did know a little bit about it mm-hmm. and it's always been nice uh, I've had some friends that went to Wheaton college that played sports here so yeah. over the years I I've, I've learned that Wheaton is a nice community. So I took a look at it and I submitted for an initial interview and it went very well. And I had a good experience. So I stayed in the process and I went to the next step and the next step. And next thing I know, I'm having a meeting with the city manager oh and, boy. and um, I enjoyed it. And we, I, I think I had something to offer to the fire department. Um, probably more perspective. Not that the other candidates weren't qualified to run the fire department. They were. Some of them had more experience than I mm-hmm. did. But I I did bring a perspective that not everybody has. Everybody has their own perspective and experiences in life that um, make them who they are. And my background was a little bit different than some of the other ones. And and that seemed to work with some of the challenges we were looking at for the future. Mm -hmm. And like I said, I think some of the other candidates, and I did know them professionally, they would do a fine job as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm more partial to me, of course, <laughs>
1: <laughs> as the top candidate. So but, that, but my, I will moving tell you this: though.
2: I, I am, yeah. The moving was just—it mm-hmm. was a—it was an issue we talked about, and mm-hmm. I said it's not going to happen. But I'll do what I, I'll do whatever I need to do to be here when I need to be here. Mm-hmm. And so far, it's worked out. Um, I'm sure at some point the conversation will, will happen again. Mm-hmm. I did, I, I did make a, uh, I did make a statement that if I do move, it will be closer instead <laughs> of farther. Uh, so but you're no, commuting no, right now. I am. And mm-hmm. it's, it's about 25, 30 minutes depending oh, on the day uh, with, if I have to come in in an emergency yeah. mode and it's not rush hour. Mm-hmm. Less. Yes. Less, mm-hmm. less. Yeah. It depends on the time of day. And the real moral of the story is while I'm an operational firefighter in the department and I do have a role sometimes depending on when I arrive on the scene. The fact of the matter is we have operational firefighters and chiefs that are around us that are part of our, response and part of our alliance that I trust wholly with acting in the same manner that I would. And if people are re- relying on me to come from home on a Saturday evening to put the fire out, we have bigger problems. Mm-hmm. That's never happened in the history of this fire department. And I don't intend it to happen now. Mm-hmm. So our firefighters do a very good job. Um, I may be part of the operational staff. If the fire happened right now, I would be an integral part of the incident command system. But if I arrive later on, such as some incidents we've had over the past few weeks, I have a role afterwards. And that's working with families, making sure that their their traumatic uh, Mm. event, um, that they have what they need to start healing and starting to put their life back together. Whether they're displaced from their home Mm -hmm. or whether they have a um, part of their home is is uninhabitable and part is, or whether they just need help with the next step with the insurance company Mm -hmm. or making themselves whole again. Or God forbid, if they're injured, also working with them to make sure they know where their loved ones are and to help them out with anything they need in the, in the short term. So we've had some other re- recent events in West Chicago where about 100 people were displaced from a building. That's a pretty significant impact on the community. And um, it's hard to, to, to make those people whole. But I know, you know, Chief Tanner in West Chicago and, and his staff have done everything they could to help out, to help these people get back on their feet in whatever respect there are agencies and services that specialize in this such as the red cross and other community groups that step up but it's really that bridge right after the fire is put out and the uh, the feeling of devastation and yeah, loss and not, not knowing what to do there's that bridge where the fire department can help in many cases mm. Thank what's you. the
0: status of the firefighting industry uh, from an employment perspective i've, I've heard I've heard more than one story about law enforcement in general, seeing a decline in people interested in that as a career. Is that carrying over to firefighting? You kind of alluded
1: to that, right? When you said there
2: were a thousand applicants and not anymore. No, it is. It has definitely had an impact since the pandemic. Mm -hmm. I think the numbers have fallen off a little bit before the pandemic, but not significantly when the pandemic hit many of the service industry jobs across the board, not, not just talking about
3: Mm -hmm.
2: fire and police. But healthcare and public safety took one of the biggest hits, probably percentage-wise. We have historically had hundreds of people applying for, in some cases, no available positions just to get on a list. Hmm. Um, I, I'm not going to speak for healthcare because I know they've been struggling, but I don't know the, the details. Police and fire have typically um, had hundreds of people applying because they're good, solid jobs, but the pandemic brought to light many of the hardships that we're facing that they've faced and the world can be a scary place for someone who's not ready for it. It's not a job just to take for a job. It's really a career. It is. It's a calling. And, and, and it's a calling. And there while well, many days, it's a great,
3: mm-hmm. you know,
2: you're not put in harm's way today. When the pandemic came around, that changed. Every call you went on had a potential for something we didn't know a lot about at the time, right. something that could, that was, what the, what was being portrayed as killing more people than other ailments and other, other issues. So that created a little bit of a, that that changed the way people thought about the profession and in their surroundings Mm -hmm. had an effect on our recruitment and it hasn't bounced back yet. Mm. Um, We've been very fortunate. The recruits that we have had, the people that have tested for a job here in the city have been very good. We've, We've had a few that didn't quite make the cut, good people, but they just couldn't uphold our standards, and they were let go. And the last group that we had have have been phenomenal, and I look forward to giving them giving them the blessing to be part of staff. Mm -hmm. And and we're looking to hire a few more for 2024. Uh, We've had some very good interviews, some very solid candidates, good backgrounds, and uh, a good uh, good attitudes, ready to learn, ready to be part of our our intensive mentorship program as they begin their candidate year or their probationary period. Mm -hmm. And um, I'm excited to get them on board, but we have a process and we'll follow that.
1: Yeah. For those who are listening, if they're interested in exploring being a firefighter, how does somebody start?
2: It's a great question. Every fire department has different requirements. The state has a minimum requirements with age, uh, and how to test for the, it's, it's a competitive civil service type test process. It's regimented by the board and police fire commission of of your local community. In our community, we, re, we require fire our candidates to have a basic operations firefighter certification from the state fire marshal's office. Uh, there are opportunities in at College of DuPage and with the Illinois Fire Service Institute and other fire academies to obtain this. It's a pretty difficult process schedule wise. It, there's many hours involved, several hundred hours of contact, both classroom and hands-on. And not everybody has the props to complete this. So yeah. typically it's done at a, at a fire academy, mm-hmm. but it can be done. So a lot of times we'll get firefighters with experience from other fire departments. Um, in some cases we'll get people that are fresh out of the of an academy somewhere. They just want to work for our city. Uh, we also require a, a some college. And we also require an emergency medical technician, basic. Oh, okay. And, but there are opportunities for waivers, depending on situations of, such as military service mm-hmm. can uh, occasionally, or depending on uh, the consideration of the commission, uh, can, can get waivers for some of those.
1: But is that a more traditional way of starting as an EMT and then working their way into it firefighting? Be. I started okay. with,
2: with nothing, but that mm-hmm. was 20 something years ago, mm-hmm. 24 years ago. Mm-hmm. I came in and I was sent to the fire academy. Right. There are still fire departments today that will hire somebody with no experience other than college or uh, related work experience, but they will send them to a fire academy and they will send them to either EMT school or EMT and paramedic school. hmm that depends on the fire department or the district or the municipality and what their, their goals are.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: For us in Wheaton, we require a basic operations firefighter and an EMT basic and the ability to test into our EMS system here at Central DuPage Hospital. But what that does get for us is we can put somebody right into an evaluation program and start them right away as an operational member of the shift, even though they're not considered part of staffing. Mm-hmm. And we can get them learning how we do business here in Wheaton. And that gets them ready to go and more experienced in a much quicker manner. Tell us about the mentoring program. So our mentoring program is pretty unique here. It's something that, that every fire department has a mentoring or, a, or orientation program. But what I've seen here is our firefighters, not, even, not necessarily even the officers, but our firefighters are some of the biggest drivers of this program. They have a desire to work beside people that are as good or better than them, mm. and they take that out, and they take that to heart, and they they put that into our mentorship program. So it's very structured. Um, it is through our learning management system. Uh, there's tests. There's lessons. Every day has a different topic. There's different skills that are that are delivered to the candidates in a particular order to build upon one another, and. Uh, what it does is it, it basically gets that candidate ready for most situations. When an officer gives him an order, he's able to do it. He's familiar with all the equipment. He understands the hose lines and it, there's no tentativeness. There shouldn't be, or mm-hmm. we would continue them in the program.
1: And it's a one-on-one mentor? Is it rotating?
2: It's a one-on-one for each shift day. but oh, a, for but each throughout, shift day. Okay. For each shift day, they work with their mentor until okay. they're released as part of our staff. So
1: it's kind of like an apprentice It's similar. It's very similar to that. They're working with a master. Somebody who's a master. Correct. Somebody who knows what And then the candidates
2: will rotate to a different station Mm -hmm. every so months, every so many months. Mm -hmm. uh, And they might go from being on an engine company to a truck company, which is a whole different set of tools and skills. And they'll work with a different mentor, or sometimes the mentor will rotate with them. It's all based on scheduling. And uh, at the end of the day, they're evaluated, and at the end of the period, it's if they don't meet all the skills, they're either let go or they stay in the program longer, or they're cut free to be part of staff. Mm. Um, our goal is to make sure that they can be cut free, um, to be part of the staff, be that third member of a fire company uh, without that supervision. Now the mentoring doesn't stop there.. right, It continues, and it continues through the company officer and through the battalion chief, or sorry, the assistant chief. And it also continues with the mentors as well Mm -hmm. throughout the end of their probationary period. And then also for the next couple of years, I mean, mentorship relationships stay for a long time.
1: Right. We have a mentoring program through the Wheaton Chamber. It's all voluntary, of course. And there are two people who may not be in the same, they're typically not in the same industry, but that relationship can really make a difference. Of course.
2: And it's a formal mentoring um, relationship, but like many organizations you have, informal mentoring relationships yes. that stick around and are through all different levels. Forever. I mean, I, yeah. I, I have young firefighters that teach me things. And in return, we work on things together that, that will help them with their careers. That's
3: great. Uh,
2: I'm definitely, I'm, I'm pretty good with technology, but uh, some of the new words that have been coined by our youth, <laughs> I'm learning what they are. <laughs> uh, but even firefighting techniques have changed since I went to an academy or since I've been yeah. on a hose line. Yeah, the equipment bet. has changed. Tools technology, have improved. Technology, yeah. And, they're the experts at the newer tools and mm-hmm. the newer uh, skills or, mm-hmm. or um, the newer methods to accomplish this task. So I get to learn from them by watching them. Yeah. Uh, even the technology for saving ourselves has improved. Some of the tools, if we need to bail out of a window, are 100 times safer than they were 20 years ago, Thank God. 10 years ago. So, and the new firefighters are very proficient at, at using them. So we learn just as much as mm-hmm. they learn mm-hmm.
0: from each other. Chief Robert Brill, thank you very much for being here. Thank you again for all that you do and all that, all that your, your team does for us.
2: Well, uh, I appreciate being here. This has been fun.
1: We're happy you're in And beaten.
2: I'm glad to be here. This is, this is a great city. And I'm proud to be the fire chief. And I'm proud to represent this fire department because they are consummate professionals in everything they do. And I, I mean, I have worked with professionals my whole career. Uh, one of the things you have when you, when you, when you go to a new organization is you have a lot of unknowns, but one of the things that really made me feel comfortable was I can do my job as the fire chief and I don't need to worry about the firefighters doing theirs because we have a great staff. We have great uh, supervisors and leaders as officers. And th- I only worry about the higher level things that I need to worry about. Uh, because they do their job so well, so and
1: that is leadership.
2: I, I I like to think so, but it, it's just nice to 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 have that trust from the beginning.
1: Yeah. So, thanks for keeping us safe.
2: You're welcome. Thanks for having me, and I will definitely pass on your sentiments to the rest of our organization. Uh, we do appreciate your support. Thanks for joining us on another edition of the Local. Help us
0: tell the story of Whedon. Who do you want to hear from? You want to tell your own story. Send guest ideas to us at fairhavenwealth.com and be sure to subscribe, review and rate us on your favorite platform. I'm Mark Horner and I hope you'll join us next time when we cut another episode of The Local.